Welcome to The Filmographers, the podcast where I pick an actor, watch their entire filmography, and then tell you what's worth watching. Uh, this time, our guest is Jane Cripe. Hi! Uh, I didn't ask you how you want to be credited. She's a funny person, lover of TV, great writer. Oh, thank you. That's so. That's like nicer than the credit I would have given myself. I would have been like... Um, dumb bitch <laughs> owns a dog. Like, I, I wouldn't have said anything good. So that was nice. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you picked Tony Shalhoub. Honk. I <laughs> I love this choice. I feel like we had a big run on this podcast of doing, like, movie stars. And I love that Tony Shalhoub is much more someone who, like, pops up in movies. Uh, why'd, you, why'd you pick him? Um, he's truly my favorite actor. I grew up, like, so loving Monk. Uh, and in a way, Tony Shalhoub has sort of become my father figure. <laughs> he doesn't know it yet. He is my dad. Not my daddy, my dad. Uh, and I was just excited to like watch stuff I hadn't seen him in because I do feel like he gets cast in a really wide variety of roles. Sometimes in like a good way. Sometimes in an interesting way. <laughs> uh, I also feel like Tony Shalhoub is my dad. I think part of it is... Uh, that I that monk is such a like watch with your dad show. Yes, I did not get like I did not get along with my dad and we had very little in common, but one thing we had in common was monk. And so when there were those like Labor Day all day USA monk marathon characters welcome, we would fucking binge the shit out of those and like not fight for once. And I was always like, "Uh, is monk on?" <laughs> uh, I remember there was the an Emily Helly tweet once that was like, uh, if you're having an awkward silence with your parents, you should ask them how they feel about Sharona versus Natalie. We need to bring Monk back so families can heal. Truly, Although, I agree. I guess on the other hand, we don't even need to bring it back because people will just watch reruns anyway. We'll just watch it forever. It's streaming. It'll keep... Um, it's the only thing keeping America semi-afloat. <laughs> if we lost Monk, we'd be screwed. <laughs> He also on uh, Maisel is now playing an actual professor in New York, which just is my dad. So it's even more so just like, oh, he's disapproving of his child being in comedy. That's fucking incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So his very first thing was an episode of The Equalizer called Breakpoint. The only thing I knew I had ever heard about this show is that the star had this demand that he wouldn't come into work until he'd shit at home. <laughs> like, he didn't want to have to shit at work. So, uh, yeah, he would just uh, go in the morning, and it was in his contract that they had to wait for him to get in. Man, that's, like, so dependent on his diet. Um, I, I have another weird story about The Equalizer <laughs> that I did hear on another podcast once, which is that, like, so The Equalizer is, like, hunting down bad guys always, but he's played by, like, kind of an old man, uh, which means that, like, whenever he chases people down, the people he's chasing have to do this, like, weird fake run where 
you have to look like you're trying really hard to run really fast, but you're actually going like very slow so that this other dude can outrun you. And they would call it the equalizer run. Um, the episode itself, I think, is not too interesting. It's the first of many roles where Tony Shalhoub is cast as a terrorist. Uh, yep. Because he's, he's Lebanese, so he gets that a lot, uh, especially after 9-11, but even, clearly even before that. Yeah, yikes. That's kind of what I meant when I was like, he gets cast in a lot of roles, but not always for good reasons. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's played a lot of different stereotypes. <laughs> Um, something that excited me about this episode is that there's a young Patricia Clarkson in it. Ooh, good catch. Who's like the woman getting married that he's, and I I don't want to say trying to save, but I mean, he's trying to save everyone there, but that was great. Uh, what were my other notes? Oh, I I liked this because there was instant shalhoub. We started out the episode and there he was. Some of these other things we're going to talk about had to wait a long time to see shalhoub. Yeah. Uh, I wrote racist question mark in my notes. (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah. that's a fair summary of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Next up is Heartburn. This is the Jack Nicholson rom-com, right? Yeah, the like Nora Ephron one. Um, yeah, I, I found this really tedious. I really hate uh, uh, the the romances that are kind of in that format where it's like you see the whole thing, like they fall apart, they're like divorced, the movie's still happening, and it just like it doesn't. I thought have enough of like a beginning, middle, and end to be very watchable. Um, I definitely like got bored and turned away from this movie a lot. Yeah, I was like, oh, it's nice that this is like a movie that's re- like real to mm-hmm. life, I guess. But it was almost too real. Where I was like, yeah, this feels sad in the way you do after a breakup, which is like, I don't know, maybe a good time to like watch that movie. Yeah, but- I also feel like. Uh, realistic movies benefit from like a short time span like if yeah. it was about like the week after the breakup I think yes. that would be a lot better and I think like the and more sprawling they get the more exhausting it is the more years and years you see of <laughs> someone's life the more depressing it's gonna get uh and like I love Nora Ephron so if you're gonna watch one of her movies like just pick a better one <laughs> uh next is Quick Change which is a Bill Murray heist movie uh I thought this was this is really painful. Just yeah. uh, uh, really had that classic like eighties comedy feel uh, without really any jokes. Yeah, Shalhoub does not show up until like over halfway in the movie. Yeah. Strike one, strike two. Movie's not very funny. Yeah. <laughs> strike three. Movie's way too long. <laughs> yeah, um, and just like really the the romance is really uncomfortable. It's, like mm-hmm. it was like oh bill murray had weird creative direction <laughs> uh next up is barton fink a uh coen brothers movie that i truly didn't care for i get like the thing of this movie is that they were they're like really good at capturing like an insufferable artist but that like gets old so fast and i feel like the story doesn't get interesting until like 80 minutes in and then it quickly wraps up. Um, I thought it was really exhausting. Yeah. For like the first, like you said, like even 80% of the movie, you're kind of like, what the fuck is this movie even about? Like, we're just watching someone that we all kind of know in real life <laughs> right? Uh, that you don't really want to watch. Or you're like, Oh fuck. Is this the worst version of me? Like, uh, and it's it sort of even just like what I was saying with Nora Ephron, where it's like, well, there are much better Coen Brothers movies, so it's hard to be like, yeah, watch Barton Fink. Yeah. 
Um, I think I heard uh, from someone on this podcast, actually, that they literally just, like, were procrastinating, and that's why it's about a guy struggling with his script, and it's just like, I don't need to read your diary. Not interesting. <laughs> I don't care what's happening in your life. Um, next is the sitcom Dinosaurs, uh, the episode Fran Live. Yes. Um, I was pretty curious to watch this one because I'd heard good things about dinosaurs. I feel like this is not, this is probably not the best example of it because I remember other stuff they've done um, that like had like good or interesting politics, but this one is like really basic with uh, the mom decides to get a job and ever, the husband is like, oh no, I need you here. And it's just like falling apart without her. And I, like, I got the feeling it was satire but in a way where it's like so basic that it's like yeah I know like you shouldn't sexistly think women shouldn't get jobs like you kind of feel like way ahead of like the point of this episode yeah like it was such a slow wraparound way to be like oh the patriarchy isn't great (laughs) but like that was kind of it uh, I went into this show with like little to no context of what dinosaurs was, <laughs> and I was really enjoying it, like the weird humor of it. It kind of reminded me of the Rick and Morty episode Ricksty Minutes, where they're just like watching different weird TV shows. Oh, yeah, the part where they're like flipping channels is really fun. Yeah, because so much of this episode is them just like going through TV channels in this universe, which is funny. Um, I also enjoyed that Tony Shalhoub's character's name was Jimmy Valentine. Yeah, I will say I, uh, well, first off, I want to mention that I just remembered to turn off our air conditioner. So if it's sounded bad up until now, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely think this is like the first fun Tony Shalhoub role we've gotten to. He's mm-hmm. like Fran's manager who like jumps on the opportunity of, uh, you know, boosting her career, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was very fun shalub. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is the movie Honeymoon in Vegas, which is a comedy with the same plot as Indecent Proposal, <laughs> um, which I I haven't seen Indecent Proposal, <laughs> so I didn't know that when I watched this. <laughs> I love that concept so much of just like a rich guy paying to bang your wife I'm always I always go in like let's do this and then it's always so boring and not sexy and I think like a lot of it is that um just like movies that do this premise insist on making it this really unrealistic thing of like uh that being like a difficult question at all it's like yeah yeah, of course for like anything more than like ten thousand dollars especially because it's like so soft she like doesn't even have to have sex with him he's like Spend the weekend with me. Go on That's vacation it. with me. Yeah, it's just a free vac. Not even a free vacation. You get paid for a vacation, and it's like portrayed as just this like heart wrenching thing. And I'm always like, oh, movie characters are such pussies. I hate this. Yeah, and it's such a weird where it's like this isn't even sex work. Like I don't know why you would. Which like obviously also was fine, but like it's so weird to have that level of hesitation. Yeah, and I feel like in movies like this. It's usually, like, the boyfriend character who, you know, doesn't want her to do it is, like, the nice 
handsome moral one and then like the dude trying to buy her is like some sleaze or whatever but in this movie it's her boyfriend is Nicolas Cage (laughs) and the guy trying to like buy you know take her away for the weekend is James Caan right Mm -hmm. who's playing one of his like most charming like suave James Caan characters I loved the James Caan it's uh Sarah Jessica Parker right yes so I loved the James Caan Sarah Jessica Parker relationship up until the very end when they had to abruptly like pretend it's not a good relationship so she can end up with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And it's just like, I just wanted this to be like a movie about like meeting a hot older man and ditching your shitty boyfriend for him. That would be so great. They spend like the first 20 minutes uh, just like on Nicolas Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker's mundane relationship and really go out of their way to show that it's a pretty shitty relationship. And then... They go through all this where they have this time apart where James Conn is, like, way nicer to her. And then, like, suddenly the end is just, like, she should be with Nicolas Cage. It's it's, it's a mess. Yeah. She should have ended up with James Conn. Yeah. Well, there's this scene. The we scene ship it. totally sold me was there's this part where he's asking her to marry her him after knowing her for like two days and she's like well we would have to have kids right away and he's like yeah okay. And I was like <laughs> they're both so fucking weird. They need to be together. And again, like Nicolas Cage, like you can, you can, you can dump Nicolas Cage and leave him behind. And he's cra- and like, you know, Nicolas Cage can be sexy in his own way, but this is like, you know, like manic controlling bad yeah, boyfriend Nicolas like, Cage. Yeah, he's just like a shitty, indecisive guy who seems like like Ross from Friends or something like that. And you're just like, ah, oh, go with the suave older man. What are you doing? With the money. Yeah. Uh, Tony Shalhoub is like the hotel owner, who I feel like could have easily been cut out of this movie and you would not notice right oh yeah he's not like a big character (laughs) (sighs) poor shalhoub i like forgot to mention shalhoub in my whole rant about that movie so yeah there's a lot it's easier to mention the ones where he does have a significant role and i just had so many thoughts about that movie otherwise (laughs) i know yeah bad also it just feels like like so um insulting to sex workers to have it be like this difficult difficult question to be like hey would you like to make way more money and do way less work than this actual job like it like it would be like if there was a whole genre of movies that was like would you work at mcdonald's for two hundred dollars an hour (laughs) (laughs) that's so true where it's like in real life sex work is not someone offers you ten thousand (laughs) dollars to not have sex with them so it's like Oh, if you made this package way, way, way bigger, and then someone is still like, ugh. God, that's just so rude. Yeah. Uh, next up is Searching for Bobby Fisher. Uh, fun <laughs> trivia fact, this is Tony Shalhoub's uh, highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics loved their Searching for Bobby Fisher. That's fucking wild to me. I didn't like this movie. I know. It is truly exactly as interesting as you would expect a movie about chess to be. It's so exhausting and the lesson in it is super weird like the uh the like ending is him like after like always being pushed by his dad being like um like learning not to like care if he wins like literally at all (laughs) it's like no you can still like enjoy winning you can be a centrist about this and just be like winning isn't everything but it is good yeah like the morals of this movie didn't seem to make any fucking sense and then it's just all paired around uh like a kind of boring child playing chess yeah 
which is a hard movie to watch. Uh, I don't know why I wrote this in my notes, but I was like, if you want to see a movie about kids, you know, being very competitive at a thing, watch Spellbound. It's a little more interesting. I was going to say Akila and the Bee. That's also more interesting. That's fucking awesome. I agree. Um, and also I, the Tony Shalhoub is like a background cameo. I had to like Once look again, it up on YouTube. Yeah. I missed him. Uh, next up is IQ. This movie is so <laughs> weird because it's about Meg Ryan being, uh, Albert Einstein's niece. And that's a really small part of the movie, which is mostly a rom-com about like a hardworking car repair man versus like an uptight intellectual mm-hmm. and uh it's it's really one of those rom-coms where it's just like a very like clueless dude perspective where it's like intellectual versus not and it's like that's not what matters <laughs> like truly they're like it's not really saying anything about like class or like something that like i don't know would be more interesting it's just it's just, like, the intellect thing, which I feel like in dating isn't really how it works. Yeah, and it does this thing I hate where he, the guy we're supposed to, like, the romantic lead, uh, pretends to be a astrophysicist or whatever, and um, the ending is like, it's okay, he needs to learn how to be himself, and it's like, that's not the lesson. The lesson is, like, don't be with guys who lie to you for months at a time to try to get you to be with them. Uh, yeah, problematic rom-com. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Tony Shalhoub is one of the guys down at the the auto repair shop. Yeah, not one of my fave Shalhoub characters. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, next up is an X-Files episode called Soft Light. Um, I'm not a big X-Files fan. I never really got into it, but I did think this episode was a little more interesting than most because it's about uh, Tony Shalhoub's shadow murdering people, <laughs> which I think is super cool. Yeah, I this was the first um, episode of X-Files I'd ever seen, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, also going to plug the double X-Files on this network. Hell yeah. <laughs> Go listen to them. Uh, so, like, I was clueless. I was like, are Mulder and Scully dating? Like, it's weird that I can't tell, but I found that Shaloub was outshining both of them. Yes. He's this guy that doesn't want to kill people, but his shadow does. So if they get too close, so all these people think he's a murderer. So then they go and try to stop him. But every time they try to stop him, the shadow fucking kills them in this like very cheesy, fun way. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really great sci-fi plot that I hadn't uh, I hadn't really seen before. Yeah, the two leads, though, I felt like did very little in this oh, episode. I know. <laughs> I feel like so, I feel like so much of what made X-Files big is just that they're both, like, unbelievably good looking. <laughs> um, so when you see, like, when you're watching the show for, like, a second, or if you see, like, a photo or something, you're like, oh, my God. But <laughs> I feel like uh, the actual writing of Mulder and Scully doesn't really live up. Yeah, it's just kind of, like, hot people thinking out loud. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I should watch more, though. Uh, next up is a Gargoyles episode called Grief. Um, I do kind of have affection for these kids cartoon episodes that are just like unnecessarily like grandiose and emotional for like no reason. Um, it, it wasn't really my thing, but, uh, yeah, artistically I was like, I I like when kids shows, uh, just are like 
crazy over the top with these big emotional stories. Yeah, I was like, oh, this would have wrecked me as a child. (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't watch a lot of, like, kids' content as an adult, so I always have a hard time, like, buying into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't – but, like, I do always enjoy just, like, how explicitly, like, emotional and clear everything is. Mm -hmm. I already forgot what was Shalhoub. Uh, I think – was he the, like, god of something? Oh, yeah. I a god, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't remember – a lot about this episode except that it was just like a very epic story that was like I feel like Gargoyles was definitely for kids who are like very serious gonna be goth in a few years um like can buy into some lore and pay attention to things yeah which I couldn't do (laughs) yeah kids who are like really into learning about Egypt or Maya Um, all right, next up is Big Night. Uh, I was excited for this because it's kind of, it's one of the big ones. It's uh, Tony Shalhoub and the Tooch, uh, who we discovered were were good friends who worked a lot. Besties. Um, yeah, I didn't know that until, until going into this. Um, I was a little bit disappointed by Big Night. Um, it's got some fun set pieces, but I... I honestly felt like it could have gone more in the weeds with the food stuff. Whenever, like, one of them was, like, talking to their girlfriend, I was like, nah, just, like, talk about lasagna. Like, that's the parts that's riveting to me. Yeah, if it had just, like, stayed in the restaurant and, like, been, like, I don't want to say farcical, but, like, even maybe a little bit more chaotic and, like, Mm -hmm. sped up a bit more, I think it could have worked because there are moments where it kind of drags, even though you have all these, like, arguably, like, electric actors in it. Yeah, it's got a really great cast. I feel like, um... They should have, like, made it feel more condensed because, I mean, the title is Big Night, and the whole idea is they have this, like, um, one uh, night to, like, save their restaurant, but I feel like you didn't really feel that in the movie. I felt like there was, like, a lot of times when the momentum really dropped and characters were kind of just, like, hanging out. It, it definitely would have benefited more from like a frantic feeling of like we have to all pull this off yeah like more tension and shit mm-hmm. conflict baby mm-hmm. the the opening scene um where tony shalhoub is like the uptight brother who's like freaking out at Sexy. these people who uh they want um spaghetti on the side with their uh risotto and he's just like so mad and <laughs> offended by that i thought like that was so good and i felt like they could have kept being sort of like in the weeds and niche and that would have been actually like more interesting than the sort of like generic uh romance storylines and stuff yeah i felt like they were almost afraid to take it to like more comedic extremes even though that's something that both of those actors are so good at playing which i will bring up again when we talk about monk oh nice uh next up is a fraser episode called the focus group (gasps) so this was actually the first episode of fraser you'd seen right it was at the time, and then it began a purge, and I've now seen, like, every episode oh, of Frasier, nice. basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love this episode, and it's it's a very Frasier-y Frasier episode, because there's a focus group about his show, and Tony Shalhoub plays this one guy who's like, oh, I didn't like him, and Frasier tracks this man down, and... Ruins his life. Yeah. Kind of inadvertently, but also, like, as a result of his obsession, it feels very, like... It's always sunny in Philadelphia or like curb your enthusiasm. It's like a little a little meaner than most Frasers in a way that I think really, really works. Yeah. Just because they, they, yeah, it's so funny how much they ruin his life. It like really leans into the way like I see Frasier and that like I want the show mm-hmm. to really always make clear of like how fucking petty this dude is that like he would hunt this guy down. 
Uh, it was another interesting casting by Shaloub where like, I wouldn't really call this one racist, but it had just kind of, I feel like they were like, do an accent and like, didn't tell him what type of accent to do. So he was just kind of like doing a voice. Yeah. You definitely see him like kind of go through the list, uh, in his filmography of being like cab driver with an accent, newsstand (laughs) guy with an accent. Yeah. So Frazier ends up burning down the newsstand, which is incredible. (laughs) And what's the best part of it is that they keep cutting back to Niles and Martin watching from the car (laughs) and just getting like more and more horrified as their son slash brother ruins fucking everything. Frazier is straight up a menace is what I wrote after watching this. And having now seen the full series, I only think it more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. Next up is a stone cold classic men in black. Uh, I love this movie. I watched it as a kid, um, a bunch and rewatching it. I thought it really holds up. It's the kind of, uh, screenplay you can imagine being like taught in classes because um, it's just so good at being a really tight funny uh action sci-fi thing yeah I don't know why this just like didn't land with me as a kid but then I you know rewatched it for this podcast and really enjoyed it and I was like I don't know I must have just like I think I must have watched it when I was like too young and not gotten it or like I think I was in that, that like weird little girl phase where I was like I don't want to look at monsters <laughs> uh and now I fucking love monsters <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, Tony Shalhoub is in a, a very funny scene. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's just, uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Men in Black. Yeah, it's a classic, you know. We don't have to tell you about <laughs> Men in Black, guys. You know about Men in Black. Um, next up is Gattaca, the <laughs> sci-fi film where uh, the world has split off between like, genetically perfect people and genetically imperfect people and uh ethan hawk is playing a genetically imperfect person which at first i was like that's not good casting but (laughs) since he has to like impersonate a genetically perfect person i was like okay that makes sense um and uh he basically uh tony shalhoub is the guy who gets him to who helps him fake an identity so he can steal Jude Law's life and go live amongst the perfect people. And uh, I, I was really into the vibe of this movie because I like that it is uh, basically sci-fi talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. Um, but I felt like uh, they could have like tightened up the plot a lot. It definitely dragged on way too much. Yeah, this was like another instance of like my tastes as a teen not matching up with like me as an adult because I watched Gattaca in my high school biology class for some fucking reason. Uh, that's such a, that's <laughs> such a high school teacher move of just being like Gattaca's about biology. <laughs> it's about DNA. Uh, and here's the weird fucking thing. It must've been cause I watched it in like a class. I thought it was like the coolest goddamn movie. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, this movie's so good. And then I didn't watch it again until this podcast. And it like, it is good. It's an interesting concept there's a cool cast jude law is sexy in a wheelchair <laughs> shalhoub is the deal man and I, which is like a fun he's it's like cool to see him as a shady character but like this movie drags the fuck yeah. on and it's a lot of like memories of him and his brother swimming and him and there's like whole motif of him and his brother and just like a bunch of emotional extra bullshit where i was like i don't care uh-huh. this could just be a dna heist movie right yeah also, I felt like at times they, like, would try to, like, justify the world or, like, world build by, like, tossing in some line that was, like, vaguely explaining eugenics. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I want to know 
know more about why they're doing all this. <laughs> uh, let's see. Next up is a lifeless ordinary. Mm. Oh, another Tucci movie. About, uh, is this the rom com about angels? Yes. Yes, it's the like Cameron Diaz uh, Stanley God. Tucci one. Yeah. This sucked so bad. I hated this movie. Okay, so first off, the like main grounded plot of it is about a guy kidnapping a girl and then falling in love with her, which I remember being a big thing in like the 90s and 00s where it would start off being like, the the rich girl is like, oh no, are you going to rape me? And then the kidnapper actually gets super annoyed by her and like, he's the one you feel bad for. And then they fall in love. And I don't know why anyone thinks that's a good plot. ABC family continued to make them into the odds. <laughs> There's so many like, Melissa Joan Hart fucking kidnaps someone, but now he's in love with her like type <laughs> movies where I was like, oh, this plot doesn't ever work, guys. <laughs> Um, and then, so, this has, like, the biggest hat on a hat I've ever seen because it's also about fucking angels <laughs> coming down to make sure that these two fall in love. It's really fucking corny. <laughs> yeah. I do, like, I hated this movie, but I also do on some level miss how rom-coms used to just be, like, nuts. And yeah. I feel like now rom-coms are very rare, and when you do get one, it's, like, just sort of, like, these two nice people fell in love. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> okay, next up is Primary Colors. Uh, this is an interesting one because it's about fictional characters that are very, very clearly the Clintons. Um, and uh, it, it, it doesn't work for me. It's very hard, I think, to figure out exactly what it's trying to say. I think it could, it would have been a stronger satire if they weren't so clearly exactly the Clintons, because it's like <laughs> now I'm bringing in a lot of like real world baggage, Shit. so yeah. it's like even harder to make it clear what they're saying. And um, there's this weird thing at the end where suddenly it becomes a big barrier gaze trope thing, which I was not expecting from this movie. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, weird how the movie forces you to make these connections, you know, with the Clintons, and then, like, doesn't really give you anything to do with them. <laughs> uh, this was, like, pretty boring for a political movie. Um, not enough shaloub. I'm trying to remember. I, like, I don't know. The Clintons aren't that interesting to me. Yeah, it seemed, like, <laughs> sort of, like, the main thing of it was that, like, he's, not as far left as he should be or like not as in touch with people as he should be which i feel like was a thing uh liberals at the time and i guess still now we're just like really into the thing of like gradual compromises like obviously like the west wing mm. um and it feels like a weird thing to sort of like fetishize when like if you're gonna make a political movie it could be about anything like it could be about murdering billionaires if you wanted because it's just a movie <laughs> Yeah, like, I, I agreed with you where I was like, I don't super know what this movie is trying to say. And the more I think about it, I'm like, I guess centrism? Which, like, all right, cool. Waste of a movie. <laughs> uh, oh, next up is Polly. Oh, great. Uh, I So Polly is a movie about a talking parrot. <laughs> 
And so I like went into it being like, this will be a talking parrot movie. And I was really shocked by how much I loved Polly. Yeah, I felt like it was like, because it's like a kids movie and not trying super hard to be like, I don't know, there's like more heart to it than I expected that actually like worked for me where I was like, well, there's like empathy in this movie. Like there are things that we don't get in modern movies always that like should be in films that Polly had. And it was just like, I thought it was going to be more irritating and like silly and stupid than Mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you go into it like a talking animal. You usually expect it's going to be like, Someone farts and then they're like, it wasn't me or whatever. Um, but it was just, <laughs> a talking cat. Uh, Go watch it. But it was just like, yeah, genuinely sweet story. And like uh, Polly's uh, dialogue was actually good and funny. And yeah, it, it opened. I believe Tony Shalhoub is like the janitor in the beginning who has a bond with Polly. Oh, yeah. He like meets Polly towards the beginning, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, a very sweet little movie that really holds up show it to your kids yeah all right next is the imposters another tooch movie this was a fun one i well, I kept getting confused because there's like 12 movies called like imposter imposters the imposter oh, the imposter it's so weird that uh <laughs> tony shalhoub is in the imposters and imposter and they are very different movies yeah yeah, the the imposters is a farce about two brothers who are desperately trying to get actor work. Um, I liked uh, sort of the spirit of it. Um, I definitely think there should be more uh, more farces, um, but I thought like it wasn't as funny as it should be. A lot of the set pieces I thought kind of like dragged on, and the jokes really weren't hitting that much. Yeah, the pacing of it was kind of weird, and like. This is maybe silly because I've never worked with any of these fucking actors, but part of me was like, what if they improvised more? Like, part of it just seemed like they were very, like, stuck to these, like, roles that weren't, like, fully written. And, like, I don't know, when you got someone like Stanley Tucci, you just want to see them go off. (laughs) Yeah, it really felt like it was, um, it really felt like a play. And I feel like watching it live and like actually being in a theater watching Stanley Tucci, there would be a sort of an energy that would like get you through it. Mm. Um, and I feel like uh, just like on film, it didn't really work. Because uh, you need, I think, in a movie like really like tight comedic beats. Oh man, next is The Siege. <laughs> Which I remember thinking, like, this is the most Bush years movie imaginable, and then later found out it's actually from 1998. <laughs> um, I kind of, like, forget how long America has been like, what if we just locked up Middle Eastern and Arab people? Um, it, uh... Yeah, so it basically imagines a world where after a terrorist attack, they just, like, lock down, um full security and like start um like uh basically quarantining uh u.s citizens and it does eventually like become slightly critical of that because there's a thing where like uh tony shalhoub has been working for the administration and it even affects like him and his family Mm. um but It still overall is very much like for the audience that was into like 24 and stuff like that. Uh, It's it's definitely like for people who love America. Who love cops, the FBI. Uh, I mean, like it's Denzel, so at least it's not like 
the whitest of men, but like still. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's still very much a cop. Yeah, he's still a huge cop. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, then it's a civil action, uh, which is uh, another John Travolta movie. This one's about a class action lawsuit um, from uh, a, a bunch of kids got cancer from, I think, the water in their city. I don't remember the exact details. Um, but I, I feel like uh, class action lawsuit movies are usually like such a slam dunk format because it's like, you know, it's easy to get invested because a bunch of kids were hurt and mm-hmm. like the bad guy's a corporation and it like lends itself to very theatrical things because of the like format of like uh, lawyers arguing. Um, but I thought this one was a pretty lazy <laughs> attempt. Um, I don't know. It just like didn't draw you in that much. I think part of it is that it starts off establishing that John Travolta and his fellow lawyers, of which Tony Shalhoub is one, are like, it shows like how selfish they are and how they're basically like ambulance chasers. And then they go for this one case where there's actually like nothing in it for them and they're actually like putting a lot on the line. And that like should be good, except I feel like it really doesn't show like why or like what changed about him. He just like really, really suddenly becomes a completely selfless person. I have to be honest with the filmographer's audience. I missed this film. I'm sorry. That's I didn't, totally fair. I didn't get to watch this one, which is a... I like class action suit movies. I like trial movies because mm-hmm. of what you're saying, how there's, like, built-in conflict. There's a climax of whether, you know, guilty or, you know, innocent mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but, you know, I work a full-time job. John Travolta is in my fave guy. Mm-hmm. I just ended up missing this one. Yeah, it's, it's super generic. <laughs> Um, next up is an episode of Allie McBeal called Those Lips, That Hand. <laughs> um, I love Allie McBeal and I get kind of sad that I feel like people really only remember it as like the sexy lawyers show. Yeah. Um, and they forget like how deeply weird it is, how it's basically like a live action cartoon where all the characters have like semi vivid hallucinations and there's like musical numbers throughout for no reason. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think people should revisit it and discover how weird it is and how nuts it is that this was on network television. And this episode is a great example of that because Tony Shalhoub plays a guy who they think might have killed his wife. And the main reason people think that is that he chopped off her hand and <laughs> kept it. And he keeps explaining, like, no, I didn't kill her. I just, like, I saw she was dead and I wanted to save something of hers to remember her by. Like the Beatles said, I want to hold your hand. Yeah. This was the first episode of Allie McBeal I saw. And I would not be like, oh, sexy lawyer show. This was like so silly. <laughs> I was like, this reminded me of like, this is maybe a weird comparison. It kind of reminded me of like Scrubs mm-hmm. where I was like, you know, from the outside, it could look like a more serious show. And I guess Scrubs does get like sad at times, but then like it will also just have like super zany fucking, you know, cutaways and like hallucinations and musical shit. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, very pro Alan McBeal, and uh, Tony Shalhoub's great in this episode. He looks like a guy who would save his wife's hand after she died. And you can catch me on the Scrubs podcast, a thing I'm starting right now. (laughs) Uh, All right, next up is Galaxy Quest, which I think is absolutely one of Tony Shalhoub's best movies and actually like a big role for him, which is rare. Yes. Um, 
yeah, this is just a great sort of, uh, like parody comedy that also like has a genuine good sci-fi plot um and it, yeah it's just like a really special movie where everything works and it just all came together really well this is so this is not my uh, my favorite pick but if we divided between like tv and movies this is my favorite film role he has yeah same because it's so outside of what Tony Shalhoub usually gets cast as and it's so something I'd love to see him as where he's like this kind of silly sexy stoner Mm -hmm. uh and it's like not a weird racial thing uh he's not playing someone like stuffy he's like so silly he has this whole thing with this alien girl which is really fun Mm -hmm. um like, Galaxy Quest is a great movie. I will say, I feel like the ratio to Tim Allen to Tony Shalhoub is a little bit off. <laughs> I could take less Allen, more Shalhoub. But, like, Jesus, the fucking cast. And it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great movie that I think, like, really understands fandom in a way that most stuff that, like, is, like, there's jokes about nerds, like, doesn't actually get it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, this is like really just nails like what is funny about fandoms. Mm-hmm. And it's like a better ver and like I don't know like Tim Allen aside, his character is like a better version of that like kind of washed up actor who only has like one role type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, he's definitely not like the character who you like love in this movie, but he works really really well as a protagonist. Uh, yeah, the movie. they like get his writing. Yeah perfectly and like Sigourney looks so good yes it was the first thing I saw Sam Rockwell in and for like way too long every time I saw Sam Rockwell I'd be like oh that's guy from Galaxy Quest no that's fine you should still (laughs) refer to him as that's fair yes like you don't want to be like "Eh, the guy from three (laughs) billboards like just guy from Galaxy Quest is good um all right, next is Stark Raving Mad. I had never heard of this TV show before, but it bangs so hard. Yes! About, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is an editor who gets assigned to weird author Tony Shalhoub, which I feel like isn't a thing. No, it's it, like this takes place in a different reality, <laughs> even though most of it is shot in a, an apartment. <laughs> um. So Neil Patrick Harris is just like this uptight, uh, nervous fella. And Tony Shalhoub is like Stephen King, if Stephen King was even weirder. Mm-hmm. Um, and he weirdly like lives with this young hunky guy who's like uh, an assistant who is like really, his main job is like typing up his books, but he's not good at that. No. So it, there's a lot of questions about why he lives with a young hunky guy. I, we all have a lot of secret fanfic theories. I'm sure we're not alone. That guy's clearly there for a reason. (laughs) The, like, thing that I kept feeling during this show, though, and maybe this is harsh, is that, like, because Neil Neil Patrick Harris's character was, say that ten times fast, was, like, so kind of similar to Monk, And I was like, well, I know Shalhoub can kind of do this better. I started having this, like, weird, like, fever dream where I was like, well, what if Shalhoub was playing both parts? (laughs) That would have been good. That would be so good. He's the uptight and he's the straight guy and he's the crazy one. (laughs) Also, like, he is very Stephen King, but I also want to know much sexier. Yes. Um, And there's a lot of, like, weird sexual energy to this show. Like, basically... 
as much as is possible for a network sitcom. Like there's weird stuff like uh, for some reason they walk in on Neil Patrick Harris hanging himself I don't even remember how they set that up oh yeah and they think it's like a sex thing and then I remember a dog humping Neil Patrick Harris at one point and them like making some type of weird I think like bestiality joke about it (laughs) there's yeah there's a lot of horny energy to this show I truly loved it it's from uh the guy who made Modern Family who also before that made Stacked which is another Mm -hmm. short-lived sitcom that I really love and um I'm bummed that he made interesting stuff that no one watched and then ended up fucking making Modern Family. Yeah, and what sucks is that, like, I really enjoyed watching Stark Raving Mad, and I was like, huh, I'd actually like to watch, like, more, because I didn't watch every episode. Uh, But I could only fucking find it on YouTube, and the quality was so bad. And I was like, God, I fucking... If this was, like, available on an app... We could reboot Stark Raving Mad. Yes, Start the campaign. (laughs) Tweet it. Uh, Let's make our Shalhoub-based streaming service. (gasps) Yes! I love that idea. All right. Next up is a big one. It's Spy Kids, baby. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you, this is just like a random fucking thought, but do you know what I realized on the car ride over here? What? My ranking of Spy Kids movies matches my ranking of the Cars movies. Oh, interesting. Second is best, first is second, third is worst. All right. So, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I never got super into Spy Kids. I did see it in theaters, but I think I was, like, a little old for it by the time it came out. Um, But, I yeah, I know a lot of people have a, a, a deep, rich history with Spy Kids. Uh, Jane, are you one of the many people I've talked to who had a huge crush on the mom? Uh, I had a crush on fucking everyone in the movies, <laughs> actually specifically Alexa Vega, yeah. which it's not creepy for me to say that because she and I are like the same age. Um, I, as you just mentioned how like other people were into Spy Kids, that was fucking me. <laughs> um, this was like my franchise. <laughs> I loved these movies. I was obsessed with the weird tone. I think my mom liked me watching them because it was, like, slightly more artistic and, like, <laughs> I don't know. But, like, I just love this family dynamic. And, like, I, I just mentioned I like the second one more, though the first one has more Shalhoub. I'll mm. say that. And Shalhoub's character has, like, a fun kind of twist. He's not a one-dimensional character. He's kind of both a good guy and a bad guy. This I realize this franchise kind of has the thing Fast and Furious has, where just, like, every bad guy will just eventually become part of the team and will just yes. be accepted as, like, nah, you're good now. That literally happens <laughs> in the third one. Everyone they fought, yeah. like, comes back at the fucking... <laughs> we, well, you know, we'll talk about it in the third one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not super into Spy Kids, but I definitely do, like, respect, it is, like, one of those rare movies you see where you're, like, this person definitely made their exact vision, um, and that's always cool to see. Yeah, I like that director, and I think he said something about how, like, the family in Spy Kids is, like, his, him trying to, like, you know, represent his family or, like, you know, celebrate his family, which is very cool, um, I have no idea if the casting on that's all perfect, but it is cool to see, like, uh, a Latino family or a Latinx family lead a movie. Uh, also, I really want to be a fucking spy kid because the gadgets are so <laughs> goddamn cool. Yeah, we uh, 
last time we tried to record this podcast, I remember you said something, but this is basically like the kid version of porn. Like yes. there's just like this weird gratuitous oh, the French things. fry machine. Yeah. There's and oh. I do remember like even though I wasn't into it that much as a movie, I did like sense those like addictive things of just like the stuff the kids would wear and like the yeah, like the gadgets they would use and stuff like it was so good at having the stuff that as you're a kid, you're like, holy shit. Like their fucking treehouse, their submarine, all their goddamn gadgets, their cool spy friends, even though they all hate each other, mm-hmm. but they're still kind of friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's literally just, I was about to say kitty porn, but that kind of sounds like another <laughs> thing, but it's, it's porn for kids. Yeah. Also sounds bad, but. Yeah. Um, all right, next is The Man Who Wasn't There, which is another Coen Brothers one, right? Oh, yeah. I thought this one was even more boring than Barton Fink. <laughs> I was about to say, I thought this one was fucking boring. <laughs> um, and it had that awful thing where a, a very young Scarlett Johansson, like 17 or 18, is in it. And just like, oh, yeah. the second she's in the same frame as Billy Bob Thornton, you're like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like immediately an energy there where you're like, okay, I, I understand how these two people get casted. <laughs> I, I already know what this movie is going to be. I'm now kind of thinking, and I feel like if we actually took the total amount of Coen Brothers films and like talked about how many are good versus bad, we'd see that the ratio is probably not as good as we think. Um, but I will say Frances McDormand looked crazy hot in this movie. <laughs> she always does. Honestly, Frances McDormand, best thing that's ever happened to the Coen Brothers. I stand by it. Um, all right, next is 13 Ghosts. Woo! 13 is, of course, spelled T-H-I-R, number one, number three, E-N. <laughs> yeah, that didn't, part didn't make any fucking sense. There like, was just, after the movie Seven, there was a huge wave of movies of people doing that. doing that that didn't make sense at all. Yeah, I, it doesn't, a one is not a T. Yeah. Like, and the three, it, it looks so fucking stupid when you read it that you wouldn't, like, you would understand because it happens to also be the letter 13, but like it re- they should have just not done that. Yeah. Um, this movie, I feel like it's easy to be like, oh, hell yeah, when you start it, because it's so nostalgic, like the yeah. soundtrack, the way it looks, Matthew Lillard and Shannon Elizabeth are there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, definitely as it goes on, you're kind of like, okay, I get it. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that like just kind of decreases in, in like at least for me, enjoyment throughout. Like as it starts off and you got Matthew Lillard and it kind of feels like another fucking movie in the Scooby-Doo franchise yes. with like how like fun but cheesy and like active it is. And I was excited because uh Chris Argent from Teen Wolf, that's his character name, not the actor's name, yeah. was in it. And there's like a weird soundtrack, but then as it got on, it became like m- harder to watch just because the visuals get like honestly like fucking harder on your eyes. Um and a lot of the dialogue looked like who's ADR, which always bothers me. Mm-hmm. And it just gets, like, so crazy that it doesn't become quite as fun anymore. Yeah, it gets really repetitive of just, like, we're going to open this room and this crazy ghost will be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, oh, Shalou plays, like, a serious family man dad, I guess. Uh, kind of saves his family in the end. It's funny because uh, the, the mom is dead, but at first it, like... At least I was like, oh my god, are Tony Shalhoub and Shannon Elizabeth a couple? Ah! Because, like, Shannon Elizabeth, I think, was, like, 18 or 19, so she was, like, pretty old, and they're, like, uh, 
like you see her like making breakfast for her little brother and like there's no mom around so I was like oh uh -oh. (laughs) but uh, no thankfully he's her dad god bless yeah um yeah overall I think it's definitely kind of like a fun nostalgic little thing but um yeah it's it's one of those movies that's like not like ends up not being really fun enough I just realized I can't think of a Shalhoub role where he's, like, with a woman inappropriately. Yeah. That's kind of refreshing. Yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of people feel like Tony Shalhoub is deeply not sexual. I know not you. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I guess it's, like, Hollywood de-sexifying him, but, like... You're, you're all wrong. Like, fucking... You're all fucking wrong. (laughs) I don't get it. Like... Um, all right, next is Imposter. Not to be confused with the Imposters. <laughs> Still confused. <laughs> uh, this was like a just knockoff Blade Runner. I thought it was mm-hmm. super boring. Um, just, I, couldn't, I couldn't track the plot of this. <laughs> yeah. Just watch Gattaca instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was like sci-fi, but then like I couldn't even get like hooked into what the fucking movie was about. It wasn't interesting. Yeah. Next is Life or Something Like It. Uh, the movie where Tony Shalhoub tells Angelina Jolie that she's going to die. Uh, and it has the thing, I think Mindy Kaling wrote about this, where like rom-coms used to all be like basically sci-fi because yeah. there's this like weird thing of Angelina Jolie like believing it. And <laughs> there's like stuff that makes no sense. Like she goes and like sees a doctor and has them like run every test and stuff. Um, and it's just like, no, we're going to find what the thing is. <laughs> yeah, it's like she's someone that would believe that, but then she's also, like, sensical and logical enough that she would want to, like, figure it out scientifically, which doesn't really vibe. Yeah. Because if someone told me that and I actually believed it, it would be so fucking, like, mystic and shit that I'd be like, well, I guess I'm going to get hit by a car. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> some shit like that. It's not, like... Right, like, no one... He's not diagnosing yeah, me. Yeah, no, no one's going to, like, notice a, like, raised mole on your skin and tell you you're going to die in seven days. That's, like, not how it works. Yeah, and he's not a fucking doctor. He's, <laughs> he's not detecting your cancer that comes on in seven days. Um... Uh, and the the love triangle in this movie is really really bad. It's um, I don't even remember the one guy's name. Um, neither. So it's Christian Kane from like Leverage, and then um, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> yeah, I only know it because I watched Angel. Um, and then the other guy is Ed Burns, who I only know from playing himself on Entourage. <laughs> um. <laughs> But so you're watching Angelina Jolie in the center of this Christian Kane Ed Burns love triangle, and you're like, I feel like they're not even like legally allowed to talk to her. You know? I know. I was like, well, she would choose neither. <laughs> also, like, it's such a lame thing because, like, in, if you were gonna die in seven days, like, sure, a lot of people would probably try to find romantic or sexual, like, you know, gratification or whatever, you know, before they die. Mm-hmm. But like. This was so clearly written by a man, and that like this woman has is about knows that she's about to die, and she's so fucking focused on this like love triangle <laughs> and shit. Where I was like, "You're wasting all your time." Yeah. <laughs> um, the the only part of this I like is when uh, she knows she's gonna die, so she starts sitting in her house wearing a social distortion shirt and blasting social distortion. I was like, "That kicks ass." Yeah, that was fun. If more of this was just her being like. I'm going to die, so fuck it. I think, like, that could work better. But it's, like, her, like, 
trying to figure out what she really wants with stuff like her like career and her relationships and stuff, yes. which is not how it works. Isn't make sense because you'd be dying in seven days, which is like why that love triangle doesn't work for me. Because if you're gonna die in seven days and these two dudes weren't two, you'd be like, I'm gonna die in seven days. How about both of you just fuck me and date yeah. me for a week? Like she basically realizes that Christian Kane isn't like marriage material, and it's like, no, you should be with like the hottest, best at sex guy possible. Like you're not gonna get is- married. Yeah. Uh, Alright, next is Men in Black 2, which I actually didn't mind. I think because I went in with really low expectations because, like, people really hate really hate that movie. Mm. But I thought it was fine. Like, I think um, Johnny Knoxville and... Uh, who's the girl from Twin Peaks? Um, Laura Flynn Boyle. Mm. I think were both really, really fun. Yeah. and uh, They were better than I thought. Yeah, I thought the... The movie pretty much worked. The only like weird part of it was the revelation that Rosio da- Rosario Dawson is Tommy Lee Jones's daughter that like came out of nowhere in the end. I forgot about that. That was such a like, this is a dumb reference, but that was such a like Crimes of Grindelwald moment because that <laughs> movie is just like every four minutes. It's like, no, this person's related to that person. No, that person's actually related to this person where you're like, they don't fucking look alike. So like bad casting and also like, did this need to be in the movie? Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, her mom was an alien that he fucked, so she could come out looking however. I guess genetics are completely different. Yeah, that's a good point. I shouldn't I shouldn't be thinking in a closed box <laughs> for the Men in Black universe. Um, I agree. I found this to be, like, honestly on the same level as the first one. Like, in, in terms of how much I enjoyed it, at least. Yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. Uh, and now another sequel, Spy Kids 2. <gasps> Sorry, I closed my notes. But you know what? I don't need my notes for Spy Kids too. <laughs> my uh, my favorite thing about this movie is that the villain is Mike Judge. Uh, yeah, he's a great villain. I also love Steve Buscemi and his role. Oh, uh, yes. With the iconic line, do you want to deliver it? Uh, when he's like, do you think God also hides in fear of his creation? Is that yes! The yes! <laughs> And, like, I, this is the movie that hands down, I don't know how many times, but I can confidently say that I've seen this movie more than I've seen any other movie because it was my favorite movie growing up. And anytime I would get sick, we owned it as a VHS and we had a VHS player and I didn't know how to fucking do anything. And so I would just pop it in and just, like, watch it on repeat. Uh, and I've watched it in recent years. It holds up. I still enjoy it just as much. I love all the weird monster mashups they create. I love the skeletons they fight. I love the music video at the end. Oh, yeah. I love the submarine that serves them French fries. I love um, the introduction of um, Emily Osment. Mm-hmm. Um Truly, I love the opening at the fucking amusement park with the juggler. That thing scares the shit out of me. See, I can I could talk about this movie for so goddamn long. <laughs> it's not even like it's probably not even it's probably not even that good of a movie. It's just a movie I love so deeply and have seen so many times. Uh, Shaloub's great in it. He's in like two scenes. They like call him for like advice. <laughs> he 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 says a great moment where he goes like, "You're on the island. Find the island man." <laughs> he just knows there is an island man, and he's right. And it's Steve Buscemi. You know what? If you want to talk about Spy Kids too, DM me on Twitter. We'll talk all night. Um. All right. Next up is a movie, a short film called T for Terrorist. That's on YouTube. Um. I thought this was a pretty interesting movie. It's about 
an actor who is basically sick of always being cast as terrorists. Um, he goes into the bathroom on a break and has like a weird moment with like magical Tony Shalhoub and um, comes out and he uh, like basically becomes an actual terrorist who like holds the set hostage and forces um, everyone in the movie to change parts and makes the white director the bad guy. And I thought it was like pretty insightful, especially um, like now we talk so much about uh, how most domestic terrorists are white men. And like there's this really great moment where um, the white director is like, well, I wouldn't even know what to say in that role. And he's like, just improvise. And he ends up saying some like uh, really bad, like misogynist shit. Um, And I thought that was like really smart and obviously like way ahead of like the mainstream talking about stuff like that. Yeah. so yeah, this movie is like a little sloppy. I think it was probably uh, one of the earlier films this director made, but I thought it was like really smart and interesting. Yeah, this like, I don't even, I really don't mean this in like a rude way at all. It had like almost a student film vibe, mm-hmm. but like it, it was incredibly insightful. It felt very powerful that they had Shalhoub in it, even in that role, because it's like, Tony Shalhoub knows what it's like to get cast yeah, as a yeah. terrorist a lot. Like, I'm sure that he agreed to this because, like, he connected with that. And it is, like, interesting in that, like, at first you're like, ah, oh, like, you know, this movie has, like, a lot of irony happening. But then, like, you know, it hits those hard truths where it's like, yeah, you know, domestic terrorists are white men. Most of them are misogynistic. Like, it finds all these, like, truths that it's grounded in mm-hmm. that help that it's, like, heightened. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, all right. Next to Spy Kids 3. Is this the one with the the video game? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah, I thought this... Spy Kids 3D, I want to clarify. Right. It was the third. You could see it in 3D. I absolutely did. Nice. Um, I thought this one, like, felt a little off because it was so focused on Junie. Yep. And it felt like it was really going for the, like, boy audience, even though I feel like before that, Spy Kids was something that, like, boys and girls could pretty much enjoy equally. That's such a good take because I enjoy this the least out of the three and it's because of the lack of Carmen. Yeah. And and the fact that it's like, wait, Junie is saving her? She's been more capable than him in every movie. And like it it, it is too Junie centric. Junie has this new love interest. I don't love that. Yeah, plot. The, the only girl in the group is his love interest. Yeah. Um I don't hate the, like, you know, video game universe, video game plot. Like, it, you know, it's very super corny, but it's, like, fun and still very Spy kidsy. But, like, it, you know, it must have been some bullshit where, like, Alexa Vega was busy or they were really just trying to hit the boy audience because, <laughs> like, she she's in the movie so little and it it just really... I, what's the opposite of benefits from that? <laughs> hurts. Uh, hurts from that, <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm a smart person. And... Like, it could easily be a movie starring the two of them having some other type of, you know, video game plot. Like, they still have to stop the bad guy. Um, The best part of this movie is probably the end, which we kind of mentioned earlier, which is, like, everyone from the fucking previous movies that they've (laughs) ever interacted with, including, like, George Clooney and shit, just showing up. Yeah, I (laughs) even as... Someone who's, like, not especially invested in these movies that was, like, really exciting. Yeah, just for everyone to fucking roll in at once. They're all on the same team now. It's so many cameos. Uh, Mike Judge, who's married to Salma Hayek and has yes! been this whole time. 
it's so oh god i think their marriage is incredible she i i canonically she has since left him i know this in my heart um i haven't seen the fourth one i have to assume that there's you know just some throw off line about how that's happened (laughs) even though it stars like joel McHale or whatever um but yeah it's like it's it's a great fun scene at the end but Need more Carmen. I'm in love with Alexa Vega, and clearly movie producers didn't understand that. Yeah. None of us are in love with Junie, except for Megan Trainer. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, next up is Against the Ropes, uh, which I think you'll agree is fucking awful. Yep. It's uh, this movie about Meg Ryan trying to make it as a boxing manager, and it has this vibe of like, a woman trying to make it in a guy's world, but she's also managing a black man and is incredibly racist about it. Yep. And like, that would be really good as like commentary, but it feels like it's like, you're supposed to just accept it and still root for Meg Ryan. Yeah. It felt like this movie was like, feminism is more important <laughs> yeah, than racism. Exactly. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, if this was me now, you could almost be like, oh, I guess this is like a failed, indi- I mean, it is a failed indictment of white women, but like, clearly that's not even what the movie was trying to do. It was like trying, she's supposed to be like this badass, but she's terrible too. Yeah, she's off. She's truly awful. <laughs> uh, okay, next is The Last Shot, which is a movie where, um, uh, I'm trying to remember which is which. Alec Baldwin is the FBI agent, right? And then Matthew Broderick is the screenwriter? Or is it the opposite? Fuck, I don't remember either. I feel like that makes more sense to me. Yeah, that's what my instinct is. This is stupid. I'm fucking confused because of 30 Rock. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, Alec Baldwin feels like a Hollywood guy. That's what's so confusing about it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh, Alec Baldwin is a government operative. And he... Uh, finds the screenwriter, Matthew Broderick, and he's basically making a movie as a complete front uh, for this guy who uh, launders, like uh, a mafia guy who launders money through movies. Yeah. Um, But then he ends up... Shalhoub is in the mafia. Yes. Uh, But then Alec Baldwin ends up getting like pretty invested in the fake movie, and I feel like it all like was such a good idea for a movie, and they kind of like don't sell it hard enough. They don't really sell... Alec Baldwin's emotional arc and like what it is about this movie that makes him like get into it. Yeah. I enjoyed Matthew Broderick in this movie more than I enjoyed Alec Baldwin. Um, and I, I agree. I wish I had gone like a little further. Uh, this is weird, but like just because of the premise, it kind of reminded me of like Argo, which is also a movie that's like kind of about something interesting, but is executed kind of (laughs) poorly. Uh, uh, next is the great new wonderful, which, uh, is a movie that's like vignettes. It's like Love Actually or something like that. Um, and the only thing connecting all these stories is that they take place in New York a year after 9-11. Yep. Um, and there's like cutesy shit about girls who do baking. Because uh, this is what every movie in the mid-2000s was. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really uh, exhausting. And my my whole thought while, while watching it was I kept being like, this is why we now only have superhero movies and sequels because in the mid 2000s, every movie that came out was this. And we were like, eh, no, no more. Yeah. Like, I don't even fucking remember this movie. I literally just wrote like, mm, love actually bullshit. <laughs> like this is just, yeah, it's, there are a million movies like this that didn't, there's nothing really special about it. Yeah. 
I don't know why people keep trying to make those vignette type movies because it's never good. It's always like at best you're like, oh, I like two of those. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're never the only way people go to see those is if they're fucking filled with celebrities and mm-hmm. they're Gary Marshall movies. <laughs> uh, and that market's kind of been cornered. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Next up is the Naked Brothers Band, the movie. I never experienced Naked Brothers as a thing in its heyday. It was very exciting to go back and watch this and be like, oh, they're like cute Nickelodeon kids and now they're starring in Hereditary. Good for them. Yeah, I watched Naked Brothers ban the TV show when it was on and I was a big fan and I remember getting into a big fight with my brother because I was like, they're a real band. And he was like, no, they're not. It's in a TV show. And I was like, yeah, but they're also a real band. And he would be like, no, they're not. And I'd be like, they go on tour. They sell albums. Like, I would just be like, no, they're a real band. Um, I had such a crush on Nat Wolf. And something I really loved is that his love, it's like, it reminds me of the new Spider-Man. Is his love interest was like taller than him. And like, just like that very real thing of like, she was much more mature and like kind of, even like kind of talented in my opinion. Um, I forgot how weird the crush Alex has on the babysitter is. There's a a few different things of them with adult women, including like this weird segment where they got a bunch of female celebrities to play themselves and talk about being like into them, which is kind of amazing. Which is also weird because I think all the Naked Brothers band stuff was like created by their mom. (laughs) And you know, I haven't checked on the movie, but I'd like, what if it was fucking written by their mom? I think it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so odd, but kind of funny and also crazy. And of course they have these careers now. That is kind of a like mom thing to do to be like, Yeah, I can imagine Kirsten Dunst being like, oh, your five-year-old son is so charming. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this this movie was definitely, like, for the fans. It's definitely not, like, a movie you can just, like, come into and enjoy. Oh, yeah, watch the show first if you're going to suddenly get into (laughs) Naked Brothers band content far too late. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it as just, like, a weird sort of time capsule of this, like, thing. Yeah. Um... Tony Shalhoub's part is like uh, one of the kids, I forget which one, has to go to rehab for his milk addiction. Uh, it's the little brother, Alex Wolf, I believe. Okay. <laughs> um, and yeah, he meets uh, Tony Shalhoub in rehab. Yeah, I remember the milk addiction. I remember there's, I think it's an episode where his babysitter, who he's in love with, is trying to intervene with his milk addiction. And I was like, this is a good fucking TV show. <laughs> it's so much better than like kind of what came later on Nickelodeon. Like, I don't know. I wasn't as into all the, like, Dan Schneider. I guess I like Drake and Josh, but I wasn't into, like, Dan Schneider era as mm-hmm. much as some other people. Um, All right, next up is Cars. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this a little in the Paul Newman episode as well. Uh, there's almost nothing to say about Cars. It's just, like, so mediocre and it's, boring. It's so boring and... Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of mentioned earlier, I prefer the second one. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't love any of the Cars movies, but I prefer the second one. Because yeah, this totally one is agree. just, like, a very dull, basic story that takes, like, a very long time mm-hmm. to get anywhere in a way that's clearly, like, made for kids. And I feel like, I I have to imagine that when this came out, part of the cell was even just, this is a movie, like, about talking cars. Yeah. Um, But, like, it causes so many questions like 
how do they age? Do they die? Like, how the fuck? Oh, they, they do die. They, yeah, because Paul Newman dies, Paul right? Newman yeah. does die, yeah. And so, like, that's ha- that's just a weird thing to have in a kid's movie. And, like, there's just, I have so many questions about the Cars universe. Do people <laughs> exist in them? It doesn't seem like it. I think it's just It feels cars? like it must be, like, post-apocalyptic. Like, there's oh, like only cars are left. Oh, that's smart. I didn't think about that. Uh, Shalhoub plays Luigi, I think yeah. is his name. He's like this little Italian <laughs> crew car member. I think he like fuels him up or does the tires. He's cute. He's not a huge, you know, character in the film. Mm-hmm. He's a good voice actor. Yeah. it's it, cars. The Cars franchise is probably a big chunk of his income, so I'm happy about it for that. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah. There's, there's not a lot to movies. I feel like people really hate on um, Mater, but oh, I feel yeah. like it's just because he's like the cable guy. I honestly think Mater is like clearly the best part. He's like the only part that feels like actually intended for kids and good for kids the rest is like oh it's like an old western about like a renegade in a new town this is like a dad movie yeah like mater has the best morals is the most interesting like and is one of the more active characters even but i do think that there's a sort of an instinctual like ugh to him because he's larry the cable guy and i don't know probably just because people uh i don't know have weird (laughs) instincts uh but yeah, even if you don't like Larry the Cable Guy, don't hate on Mater. Yeah. Um, all right, next up is 1408, the uh, Stephen King adaptation starring uh, John Cusack. Oh, yeah. I thought this movie was so ridiculous. I, like, it really felt like parody at times. It's like, this is, like, straight up a funny movie because it's so weird and bad. Yeah, it was one of the, like, weirder... Stephen King movies I'd seen and that like I wouldn't have maybe known it was a Stephen King thing because it felt like it was funnier than a yeah. lot of Stephen King There's movies There's a part seen. where his room is like freezing and he starts like getting a Skype call and it's <laughs> it's all very very silly. Um, and at the end um, spoiler alert for 1408 <laughs> after uh, John Cusack dies uh, the hotel guy I want to say it was I have no I think idea. so. Um, but he goes up to John Cusack's widow and is like, "Because of this, from now we're from now on we're closing that room in the hotel." And it's like, "Why didn't you do that in the first place? If that was an option the whole time, <laughs> that's such a simple thing to do. Truly, uh, I will take this opportunity to plug King Me podcast. Yes. Go listen to it. I love you, Tom. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, Tony Shalhoub is like his sleazy agent oh yeah which is kind of a fun role for him to see but like uh i don't know he plays an agent in dinosaurs he plays kind of a sleazy guy in gattaca like you can get it elsewhere yeah um next up is american east uh which uh feels very like of a particular era it reminded me of like crash or babble it's a little better than either of those just because it's uh made by someone who is actually i think arab um so it's like the insights are a little more substantial but i definitely think it like fits into that category of movies from that era where it was like big ensembles where like the main takeaway is like we all have our differences yeah um i don't remember as much about this one so i feel like i have less to say but it didn't I was kind of bored during it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think part of maybe this is a weird comparison to make, but I liked the I'm already fucking forgetting the name, the shorter film he was in. Yeah. Just because that was like moved much quicker and was more succinct. And this was like one of those movies where I was like, I don't know, maybe if you shortened it or like Yeah, I think uh Tia's for terrorist it like so like had like oh, yes. <laughs> one specific point and I felt like this like a lot of movies in this style because it is such a big ensemble the like takeaway ends up being like everything's complicated yeah it was like here's a lot of people a lot of things happening (laughs) it's not even like a vignette story where it tries to like (laughs) thematically bring them together all right jane this is huge our next one is monk Ah! okay so uh, I mean, I mentioned this in my little intro, but Monk is, like, a hugely important show to me. It was, like, the only thing my dad and I had in common. I watched a lot of it growing up, and I was just so into it. And, like, I don't Like, there's so many parts about the show that I like, and what I truly love about it is that it mostly holds up. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to find a really offensive joke in Monk. It's mostly just, like... Monk is afraid of gay people or something, but it's like, well, Monk's afraid of fucking everything. (laughs) Like, there's this great episode I always think of where it's like, Monk has to help solve a murder that happened on a nudist beach. (laughs) Uh, And and Dietrich Vader plays like a nudist. And Monk is just so horrified by human bodies that when he goes to meet them, he stares into the sun. (laughs) And Natalie is like, Mr. Monk, what are you doing? Stop staring into the sun. You'll go blind. And he just goes, I know, but when? (laughs) And, like, oh, it's just such a good... I, I don't know. I'm just going to rave about how good Monk is. I feel like there's a lot of shows where it's, like, oh, you know, someone's autism is a superpower that lets them solve murders. Like, you know, kind of dumb shit that, like, connects mental health to, like, crime in ways that is sometimes offensive or unrealistic or, like, really hammy. And I felt like, I don't know, like... I don't know anyone who actually has as many phobias as Monk because he has a lot of very specific phobias, but it's like sincerely interesting to watch someone like overcome them in their job. And like, I don't know. I never like stories about men doing things because of their dead wives, but I was always fine with the Trudy motivation. I was like, yeah, he just wants to find out who killed his wife and help other people along the way. Monk's a good guy. Yeah, I really loved Monk uh, when I revisited it for this. Uh, Even though I loved it as a kid, I wasn't, like, super expecting it to hold up. I thought maybe it would be kind of corny, but it's such a well-done show. It has so many great plots, and, like, they really were, like, so bold um, with a lot of stuff. Like, um, the episode where he's in the mental institution and the episode where he's, like, on a flight the whole episode those were both like season one episodes that weren't even like the finale or anything Mm -hmm. and i was like wow they just like went for it so much like right away being like so ambitious in every episode yeah it's a really innovative show with like for a crime every or like a procedural or whatever we have this crime every week like they don't get super stale they also like I appreciate in the openings, you know, it always starts with someone, you know, getting murdered or the crime happening. They're never like super gratuitous. And it's not every week a man kills a woman. It's like they have a lot of variety in how things go. I also like the jokes really hold up and are funny. Like I was looking, I think one of the showrunners and at the very least a writer was like Tom Sharpling. Like it's like a good staff, a good cast. Like watch Monk now. You'll still enjoy it. Yeah. And um, a thing I really like, similar to what you were saying, is I think a lot of people, 
um, a lot of people like to like headcanon Sherlock Holmes types as like autistic or OCD, but like usually yeah. I feel like the work itself is usually like resistant to that. Like mm-hmm. there's a whole episode of House where he thinks he might be autistic and they like weirdly go out of their way to be like, no, you're not. Oh God. Um, and I really like how Monk like really like bakes it in and is like what if like your interpretation of the Sherlock Holmes character was completely true and like really sees that to its end and like builds the world around it yeah like there's such a good balance of Monk doing his job and then like Monk going to therapy Mm -hmm. and like Monk having interpersonal like reactions and growth and like it's also it's like realistic and that like I feel like sometimes he is over to he is able to like immediately overcome something because he needs to do it to like save someone or save the day or whatever. And then there are times when something's like too much and he like fails. Like he's a great, like so many monk episodes, he fails once or twice and then fucking figures it out in the end. And I don't know, maybe that's not like the best detective, but it's a great fucking character. Yeah. It's, it's a really great show. Um, I think that, one of the worst mistakes in the history of TV was turning our back on procedurals. We need great shows like Monk and Comedy procedurals, seriously. Um, Yeah, just like can't say, uh, can't overstate how much I like Monk. Also, like, I'm, I'll never shut down a Sharona-Natalie debate. I think they're fun and interesting and you can tell, you know, a little bit about someone by how they choose. But also, like, let's not pit them against each other. I think they're two great characters. Wait, I just thought about two other Monk episodes I want to talk about. There's the there's the episode where Sharona and Natalie are both in it. And at first, it seems like they're going to get pitted against each other. But then Natalie finds out that Sharona used to make more than she does. And so, and Sharona helps Natalie, like, wager to get, like, a, uh, like a wage increase wow. from Monk. And they, like, team up. It's great. Um, also, I wanted to bring this up because of all the Tucci talk, the episode, because they're friends and they're so great. Oh my God, that cat, the cat's back and it's incredible. Um, okay. So the episode of Monk that Stanley Tucci is on is incredible. What the plot, and you can cut all of this later. I just need to say it. The plot is that Stanley Tucci plays, uh, an actor who has been cast in a movie about an earlier monk case. Uh, it's the one with like the astronaut and I think the doll and the garage that like hangs the woman or whatever. And you're like, how did he kill her? He was in space. And so now they're making a movie about that a few seasons later. And Stanley Tucci has been cast as monk and he's a very method actor and he wants to get, uh, uh, be like as close to Monk as possible so he follows Monk around and imitates him and stuff but then he starts to go too far and like loses reality and thinks he is Monk and then he starts to try to shred track down Sharona's killer because of that and then he like almost kills someone because he thinks that they're Sharona's killer and Monk has to like show up and stop it but then in the end they just kind of hug and I've been saying Sharona the whole time I've been meaning Trudy fuck okay Trudy's killer uh and in the end they just like hug and cry about Trudy and it's so sweet and it's so good and he's so funny playing Monk um so like Definitely watch Monk, and if you're going to start with Monk and you just want to have some fun, go watch the fucking Tucci episode. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to let you listeners take a break and listen to a quick ad. Um, oh, and I uh, forgot to say this, but in case it wasn't clear, Monk is my official gold star, his, uh, his absolute best thing. <gasps> Monk is also my gold star. Yes. 
People ask me, why should I listen to your podcast? Because there's like 10 million X-Files podcasts in there. I say, one, we give great commentary. Because all those other X-Files podcasts, they're just like fucking masturbating over Chris Carter's creation. Yeah. Number two, we will make you come. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's going to happen. Well. We're- We'll hit a button sooner or later. Yeah, we. you know what? We're going to cover so many fucking hot topics, and one of them, someday, going to be yours. Gonna and be you yours. might not even know it. You'll be sitting there listening, you'll be like, oh, damn. I completed, and I didn't even know that was my thing. Five stars. <laughs> Review, please. Catch the Double X Files Tuesdays at noon on your favorite podcast app. Baby, we'll treat you so right. All right, next up is How Do You Know? Um, if you regularly listen to the podcast, you might remember we talked about this on the Reese Witherspoon episode. And uh, when we talked about it on that, I mentioned that it's kind of uh, a mixed bag, but that the therapy scene is one of my favorite scenes in a movie. And now we get to talk about it again because Tony Shalhoub is the therapist in that scene. Yeah. Like, this is one of those movies where it's, like, doesn't have the best writing, but there's some really great performances in it that, like, keep you entertained to watch. And there is such a good scene. And Shalhoub is a great therapist. Do you want to talk about it? (laughs) Um, I'm not going to – I won't go into too much detail, I guess, because in case people want to watch it for themselves. um, But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great Reese Witherspoon scene, and uh, and Tony Shalhoub uh, does great supporting work in it. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, they you... should do more stuff together. Oh, uh, that'd be so good. No. Oh they... my God! Wait, season three of Big Little Lies. Tony yes. Shalhoub. <laughs> I will start watching Big Little Lies if you do that. <laughs> Tony Shalhoub comes to town and is like, "Y'all are fucking crazy." Tony Shalhoub arrests them, or like, is their psych like? He's their new like psychiatrist or something. <laughs> yes. Oh, that'd be so good. Um. All right. Next is Too Big to Fail, which is an HBO movie about the financial crisis. <laughs> I thought this would be more fun because I thought this was gonna be this. I'm so stupid. When I first read the title, I was like, "This is gonna be that Sarah Palin movie, oh, Game Change yeah. or whatever." And I turned it on and I was like, "Oh no, it's about the recession." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought I thought this really sucks. Like just. Uh, aesthetically it's really boring and politically i felt like it did kind of come down in favor of like we needed the bailouts which is weird yeah and like i don't know i'll be honest i don't know a lot about the economy (laughs) uh but like when you're gonna give it to someone like that do it like the fucking big short give it to us in like a way that's like (laughs) active and entertaining and like easy to ingest and like this was just like kind of dour and confusing maybe i'm just dumb (laughs) and there's this really annoying scene where like in order for them to you know get out the exposition for the audience they have to have a character who like doesn't know what's going on so like the one woman in the room is like what's going on explain this to me even though it's like doesn't she also work in this industry oh god that's so there's so many other ways to get exposition out (laughs) like jesus um, all right, next up is Cars 2, 
which mm. I feel like this ha- this movie has a really bad reputation, but it's just yeah. because it's so different. But the thing is, like, with it suddenly being a James Bond movie, is like they kind of had to do that because Cars One was super boring, and I- doing just like another western would be like really really bland. I truly have the same take where it's like I feel like everyone didn't like it because it was like so not expected of a Cars movie. But I was like, we've only had one Cars movie, guys. <laughs> what do we fucking expect? And that one was a really boring story so it's like if you're gonna make a bunch of cars movies and if cars are humans in this universe you're just gonna have to start doing like human type movies like you said you already did like the kind of western like hero hometowny type thing so like yeah elevated to heist mater is more of the main character in this one which makes it more interesting it goes international which is not perfect at times (laughs) but is like exciting and also it's like hey it's kind of the first time, like, I get that in the first movie it's about racing, but, like, do you know it's not super interesting watching cars go in a circle? Do you know what's <laughs> more interesting? Watching a car chase, which happens, like, yes. way more in the second movie. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun. And, yeah, like, Mater as a protagonist just has so much more vulnerability than Lightning McQueen, whose, like, whole thing is he's just like, I'm the best. No one can beat me. Yeah, and then it really goes back to him in the third one, which we'll get to, and it's like, <laughs> oh, boy, dip. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this also has a montage that is set to a song by The Cars, which is the kind of dumb gag that I really enjoy. That's so good. I didn't catch that. Um, all right. Next is Men in Black 3, um, which I thought was pretty solid. I like all the, like, time travel and stuff. Uh, Josh Brolin's really well cast. Um, and yeah, I thought it pretty much, uh, it pretty much worked. I feel like through not really, like, any fault of this movie you can just like kind of feel like there being less energy less shine to it it's sort of just like it feels like the world changed more than men in black changed and we're just like kind of done yeah like it definitely feels like they were starting to run out of stuff to do but it's still pretty like active and like considering i guess this is on my mind because we're doing a lot of like um trilogies today yeah like, i know so lot of trilogies so is that like compared to some of the other ones this is a better third movie yeah um but i i would say it's still probably the worst of the three yeah i think when i first saw it i liked it better than t- than two like from what i remembered of seeing two when i was 12 um but then when i went back and watched both i was like oh i don't know if it's like better it might be i don't know uh, yeah yeah um, but yeah, I thought making it a time travel movie like added to it and made it like more different from the first two. So it was still pretty fun. That's true. Oh god. Next up is Hemingway and Gellhorn, <laughs> which is another HBO movie. And uh it's I think I thought it was really annoying because it's like so much about like indulgent writers just like having these like annoying conversations about how they're so special because they're writers, but then it also like really got into like world war ii and had like i thought very unearned holocaust footage that is just like very suddenly super horrific in the middle of these stories about these like narcissists living like pretty comfortable lives i thought it was just like really poorly done and sort of like yeah everything in it you could sort of tell what they were going for but it just like didn't work at all yeah i also found it like pretty indulgent and i was just like uh you don't get to do like none of this has been earned yet like you just are throwing a shit so quick that you aren't really holding up with like your writing yeah uh 
And I, I don't know. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's similar to, like, a lot of movies about guys like Hemingway, I think, just have this, like, sort of sloppy vision of just, like, showing ways he was shitty, but then still being like, but he was a great man. Yeah, I think I watched this around the time of Barton Fink, and mm-hmm. I was just like, God, like, I know those are different, but, like, <laughs> we have a lot of fucking movies about this kind of shit, and it's never good, and it is always about men. Yeah. Um... All right, next up is movie 43. Mm-hmm. This is definitely getting my black ball partially because it's bad and also partially because Tony Shalhoub is not in this movie. He's Didn't in- watch. <laughs> it's on his IMDb. I watched the entire thing and I had to like watch it really closely, watch all the after credits stuff, watch all the credits and everything and then was like, no, he is... 100% not in this movie he must have been in it and it was cut and he's still on the IMDb so I like as soon as I finished watching it I texted Jane and I was like do not watch movie 43 he is not in it yes god bless Lenny he texted me he warned me and I was like oh well I would never watch movie 43 just for fucking fun uh, so I haven't seen the film Shalhoub's not in it can't say I recommend it yeah it was like in some ways, it had more laughs and was more, like, funny than I expected. I expected it to be more just, like, dead air, like, sort of, like, Saturday Night Live or something like that. Um, but in it, like, was a little bit funny, but there was something just, like, incredibly depressing and just, like, gross Deeply, deeply disgusting about like sitting there and watching all of these in a row. Is that the one with like Holly Berry and Kim yes. Kardashian? I don't think Kim Kardashian's in it. I think I'm mixing it up with one of those other like, you know, weird movies. Um, <laughs> weird movies, Jesus. Uh, but like parody movies that are like purely based on that. Mm. <sighs> yeah. I'm a film critic, guys. <laughs> And then next is the movie I thought for sure would be my black ball, Pain and Gain, which you might remember was my least favorite Dwayne Johnson movie. And I really thought uh, this would be the first movie to double black ball on my podcast. Uh, And then obviously I had to give it to movie 43 just for not having Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Pain and Gain is also a movie that just makes me feel deeply disgusting. And it's more of like a good film like a well-done film than you would expect it doesn't feel like a michael bay movie which i think is why i talked to a lot of people who actually like it um and i get that of it like it's it's not a poorly made film but there's something deeply deeply depressing and disgusting about it and i remember i saw it in the theaters uh with frequent guest of the show Katie Wright and afterwards we were both like god I feel so depressed now yeah this also almost got my black ball and in the end the reason it didn't is that there's another movie we'll get to that I was like ultimately more disappointed specifically in Shalhoub for like taking that movie Mm -hmm. versus like I mean, I also don't know why he took this movie, but I like it like made a little bit more sense to me. It's so there's just like a lot of toxic energy in this movie. Uh, I don't I I have a hard time imagining that listeners of this podcast would enjoy the film. (laughs) Um, Hey, 
Okay, next is We Are Men. He had such a shitty <gasps> run with Movie 43, Pain and Gain, and then We Are Men. I know. It's like the post-monkeyers I worry about, baby <laughs> Shaloub. I'm glad that he went back to Broadway, kind of centered himself. Now he's in Maisel. Uh, he always, he finds his way back every time. Yeah. So We Are Men is about uh, a group of men. single guys. And I feel like it was CBS trying to be like a little more like filmic, a little more stylized and less CBS-y because um, it's it's actually a, a single cam uh, show. But I feel like as a result, they're even less funny. Like I feel like I agree. Uh, Two and a Half Men and Big Bang Theory, like no matter how much you hate them, they do have that satisfying like set up punch style. And We Are Men, it just, like, doesn't have jokes in it. Yeah, no, it it felt like you got someone really unfunny to do, like, an HBO comedy? Yes, it felt so It felt so much like it was trying to be Entourage, but, like, yeah. not understanding what is interesting about Entourage. But with, like, a CBS brain. Exactly. Uh, and it really failed, and it really did isolate, in my opinion, a fucking female audience in every way. Yeah. And it it's not one of my fave Shaloub characters by far. Probably his, like, skeeziest in terms of, like, women, I guess, role. Because mm-hmm. uh, we talked earlier about how he doesn't have a ton of that because people don't see Shaloub as super sexy. I wouldn't say that We Are Men saw him as sexy either. Right. But I, I guess this was one of his more creepy roles i guess <laughs> less fuckable shaloub is here yeah i'm glad that basically none of the movies or i mean none of the shows from that like renaissance era of like <laughs> work it and we are men and man up uh yeah. pretty much nothing made it except for last man standing which like if you actually watch last man standing it's just like the four women like being smarter and cooler than tim allen so i'm glad like that's the one that actually made it <laughs> Um, all right, next is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, which I really, really liked. Um, I feel like it had this weird reputation where, like, I remember being like, I remember people being like, why did they make a serious, gritty Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? And the thing is, like, they didn't. It blatantly, like, has jokes and is silly. I feel like people just, like, thought it was over serious because of, like, how the turtles look. Yeah, I, I'll say that's where my complaints are. I I didn't really like this movie. I prefer the second one, which we'll get to. But I I had some issues with the appearance of the Ninja <laughs> Turtles. I had some issues with some of the voice performances. And, like, they shouldn't be buff. They're ninjas. Uh, like, they should be... A, I'm, I'm such a fucking nerd right now. But, like, they should be a bit more sneaky. They're, like, very hunky and gross in this one. It's, like, almost porny. Um, See, I like that. I like that they're hot. That's fair. You want to fuck all the turtles? <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I guess they're teenagers, but... Yeah, oh, Lenny, problematic. You're canceled. <laughs> but, like, also the tone is kind of all over the place. And, like... I only get to hear Shaloub. I don't get to see Shaloub. There's a fucking strike. And like, this was this probably stupid note because I could see this being done well, but this was a movie where I was like, this is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. And like, they are none, none of those four are the leads of this movie. Like it's much more an April movie. It's even more of a Will Arnett movie at times. Like, um, I was disappointed 
some of my reasons I think were stupid and personal, uh, I did prefer the second one. Yeah, I also prefer the second one, but I thought this one was really solid. And I like that it's an April O'Neil movie. It's, uh, I thought they, they did a really good job with her, and, and Megan Fox is really perfect. I didn't like April as much. This is this is when mine and Lenny's friendship starts to fall apart because it's the first time we've disagreed on something in like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next up is the final season of Nurse Jackie. Um, I thought this was really great. I uh, mm-hmm. I binged the first couple seasons of Nurse Jackie during Hurricane Irene, um, and I really liked it. And then kind of like never thought about it again. It was like very specific to that one day. And then so finally for this podcast, I revisited it and watched the final season where Tony Shalhoub is added to the main cast, and I really loved it. I felt like. You know, most shows have trouble ending, but I thought this final season really worked. It also works as a standalone if you're a Shaloub fan who wants to skip to that season. Yes. Um, and yeah, it, I think it's a, it's got a, a really great tone and is, is really watchable and fun. Yeah, I can attest to that standalone thing because this was the first episode of Nurse Jackie I'd seen, and I watched um, two in a row from the final season. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. Like, I think I might watch more Nurse Jackie when I have some time. I have big crushes on Betty Gilpin and Merritt Weber. I mm-hmm. hope I'm saying that right. Uh, in one of these episodes, they take a shroom trip <laughs> together. And I was like, oh, this is so my content. Um, and also, I was like, oh, this show seems like it's a lot of things. Like, I'd never seen it before. So I just assumed it was like another hospital show. Mm-hmm. Um, with like maybe some stuff about drugs. But I was like, oh, this seems like a really great ensemble that has a lot of things going on. I don't want to be uh, super spoilery, but something gets revealed about Shaloub uh, that was like very devastating. And I was like, I've watched this for two episodes. I've never seen the show before. I don't know Shaloub's character. I know he's new. And like, even I care about this reveal, mm-hmm. um, which I think says a lot. That being said, they played a cover of I Want to Dance with Somebody. That uh, was That awful. was really fucking bad. And uh, <laughs> it bugged the shit out of me because it was so clearly, it was so clear they added that in at the last minute after they'd already filmed it. Oh, which yeah. I guess is like how all TV works, but it like was really blatant because um, she work. says, this song always makes me sad. And it's like, first off, it's I Want to Dance, dance with, with Somebody. somebody. And it's just like a slowed down melancholy version. And yeah, it's like, it's a bad cover. Big of a weird hipster would you have to be mm-hmm. to sincerely be like, this cover so, of I Want to Dance with Somebody always makes, makes me sad. sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, that like, it was, it was right after the sad Shalhoub reveal. And I was like, oh, this, this just ruined it a little. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I really like Shalhoub in it, and I think this character definitely fucks uh, more than most Shalhoub characters. Like, pretty much... <gasps> Good to know. Gonna go watch more. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm not sure if he actually, like, fucks in the show, but, like, every scene he had with another character, I was, like, so into it. There was so much, like, tension and energy. A lot of chemistry. Everyone seemed to, like, respect him and be into him. Also, like... I think Shalhoub gets cast as an academic a lot, but I actually don't think I've seen him as a doctor a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, And I was like, cool. Another type of role that he's, like, good at. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. Next up is Guns for Hire, uh, the hitman lesbian movie. (laughs) 
Um, I kind of have to respect this movie just because it is about a woman who hires a hitman to kill her and then they, like, actually have a lesbian relationship, not just subtext. Yeah. Um, So I, like, love it for, like, being a fanfic AU. (laughs) Um, But it's definitely, like, a poorly made movie. It really looks like straight-up porn, even though there's not actual fucking in it. Like, the... The visuals and the acting are very, very porny. Yeah, I I did notice how, like, soft Corey it seems. Um, but I did enjoy how gay it was <laughs> and how explicitly gay it was. Even though it was, like, super messy, I was like, eh, more content for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, like, not the best thing. But if you've, like, already seen Bound several times, then <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, uh, next is an episode of The Blacklist called Alistair Pitt. Oh Shaloub plays Alistair Pitt. Um, I recapped The Blacklist for her blog for several seasons, so I've seen way more of that like mediocre show than I should. Um, it's fine. It's like something that you kind of like fall into, and like if you get into it, it can be an exciting thing to watch each week. But um, I will recommend this episode just because there's a part with Tony Schlub taking a bubble bath with two dogs. I really want to talk about that. I wrote all caps, scene of Shalhoub in bathtub with two dogs and champagne was a dream. I liked his outfits. Yes. He was so sexy and suave on this episode. He had the cutest dogs. He was like a little sinister but hot. Uh, he was like the only part of this episode I really enjoyed. I hadn't seen the blacklist before. So I literally was like, what is this show? There was a whole subplot. I didn't understand. There was all this stuff going on about like adoption or giving up a baby. There was a woman and I didn't know if she was James Bader's lover or daughter. Um, um, yeah. So that's actually a big thing with this show (laughs) is that they are like the main ship, but he's also maybe her dad. (gasps) And I respect the shit out of NBC for dragging it out for so long. That's hilarious. There was like some arranged marriage stuff that was confusing in this episode. Um, by far the best like plot stuff was the Shaloub Spader stuff. Um, Spoil can I can I spoil what happens to Shaloub? Yeah, uh, spoiler alert, Shaloub does you know, trigger warning, Shaloub <laughs> dies in this episode. Shaloub death warning. Uh he doesn't make it through. I was sad to see him lost, but he's a great character. Look up the scene in the bathtub, even if you're just like, you know, jerking off or something. <laughs> uh like it's it's worth it alone. Uh all right, next is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Out of the Shadows. Um, I was so happy to hear you liked this movie because they added in my little baby, Stephen Amell, (laughs) and he's so great. Um, I loved seeing him in a movie. And on top of that, I think in addition to how much I loved seeing him, I feel like he just objectively made the franchise better because in the first one, there's some weird Megan Fox, Will Arnett stuff. Yeah. And I think this movie giving Megan Fox a love interest who's her own age, like really like automatically made a lot of the stuff a lot better. Yeah, they course corrected Will Arnett a little bit in this movie to make him more of like an obvious douche, which worked better, though he didn't really need to be in the movie that much. It was so funny when you were like, they added my sweet baby. I thought you were going to say Tyler Perry for a second. Because no. uh, he was very good in this movie, I'll say. I thought he was great. This one was better. Um, it was a little bit like more confusing, but that, because more stuff was going on, which made it more interesting. 
Um, I think they adjusted the looks like a little bit mm-hmm. and like Splinter who is who Tony Shalhoub plays looked a little better. I kept waiting for Will Arnett to like die for some reason. <laughs> I thought that was like really going to happen in the movie. Um, I still don't like how buff they are, but I thought the voice performances were good and I just, I enjoyed this one more. So I don't, I don't want to be a hater because uh, I love Teenage Mutant. I should have said that too. I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's why I have those takes. Um, and, you know, they'll, they, if they keep making movies, I'll keep seeing them. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna, because it, it failed at the box office. Yeah, there's a show. beautiful for this world. There's a show now, and it has a good voice cast, but I haven't watched it, because it's, like, so much for kids. Mm. All right, next is They Shall Not Perish, the story of Near East Relief. And this is, like, a documentary, so Tony Shalhoub is, I guess, like, one of the many times when they would, like, someone would, like, read a letter or whatever. Um, so... Definitely not something you need to watch for the Shalhoub. Um, and I kind of, like, can't really judge it as a documentary because I felt like I um, – it felt extremely biased to me, but I didn't know enough about what it was talking about to be sure. So my review is kind of like a question mark. I'll be honest. I Googled the movie, and I Googled Shalhoub's involvement in it. And when I realized it was minimal, <laughs> I ended up not watching when I ran out of time to finish the list. That is totally fair. <laughs> Uh, no shade to documentaries though, or whatever this one was about. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I like documentaries. I next is the assignment. Uh, another piece of absolute trash. Um, this movie is so funny. So what happens is there's this man who's a criminal, and he wakes up. Uh, and he's suddenly Michelle Rodriguez. They just gave him. Uh, overnight uh, confirmation surgery that was so good that he is just Michelle Rodriguez. Yep. Um, and that like blew me away. <laughs> like 15 minutes in, I was like, I must be wrong about what this movie is. And I had to like Google the plot summary just to make sure I wasn't like misunderstanding something. Um, but no, Sigourney Reaver is just like this weird villain who was like, the way I will... I guess get him to not be a criminal is to turn him into Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, so this movie gets my black ball. That is fair. Uh, because Tony Shalhoub and Sigourney Weaver both play like pretty terrible villains uh, that are just, yeah, doing this uh, weird like gender confirmation surgery against someone's consent. Uh, it's the performance by Michelle Rodriguez yeah. is... I, I don't want to be mean, but, like, flawed. Uh, it's... I, I don't really understand what the movie was, like, trying to say. I don't think it was necessarily saying anything, like, positive or progressive. I... This movie was recent enough that I was like, why the fuck did Tony Shalhoub do it? Uh, I just really didn't enjoy it. I just kind of had the ickies watching it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, black ball. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, this movie was, like, kind of hilarious to me because I feel like there's a certain level of like if something is like so trash and also so something that like no one watches or cares about then it's right. just like who cares it's just like funny yeah. but it is like an unbelievably bad movie <laughs> yeah totally i didn't know what it was about at all and it was so funny i was watching it and my roommate came in like probably like not very far in and was like what are you watching and i was like the assignment and they were like jesus why <laughs> like uh they like i had they were like oh yeah her terrible things that's not a good movie <laughs> yeah 
It's so weird this movie exists. I'm very fascinated by it. I want an oral history. I don't mean to be negative. Uh, it is interesting, but I have to say personally, I don't recommend it. Yeah, no, that is very fair. <laughs> no one should watch the assignment. Why is the end of, this is so weird, my, the end of my notes for it just says MTV and nothing else. Was it an MTV movie? I don't think so. This movie shouldn't exist, period, MTV. Maybe it's just a typo. Okay. Let um, me read my typos to everyone. <laughs> All right. Next is the Amazon Prime show, Brain Dead. I thought this show was really bad. I feel like I, right away, before it even got into really being a show, like alarm bells were going off for me because it had this like voiceover montage where someone was like in 2016 everyone was losing their minds and it shows trump and hillary and bernie as those as though those people are all equally losing their minds yeah that felt weird it kind of reminded me of like and i should say i didn't finish the season but it reminded me of that american horror story season that was about the election where i was like the message of this does seem to be that everybody drove everybody crazy. <laughs> and you know what? There was someone who was the most villainous in all of this. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. And the, the sh- whole show sort of is like that. Like the main characters are a conservative and a liberal, but you're supposed to like ship them and want them to like get past it. No. Um, <laughs> Fuck and, that. Yeah. And it's just like really bizarre because it's clearly supposed to be a political satire, but like, it doesn't believe in anything except that, like, everyone's losing their minds with divisiveness. Everyone's wrong. But it's like, hey, I don't know. Have a take. Some people are more wrong than others. Yeah, um, yeah I definitely, I think I watched maybe two episodes and was just I like, watched one. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't need this. Next is Breakable You, which I think is the... Uh, yeah, the Holly Hunter rom-com. Um, this one was really frustrating. It like starts off as sort of like a light kind of family rom-com where Holly Hunter leaves Tony Shalhoub for his brother, Alfred Molina. Um, or the opposite. <laughs> now I can't no. remember which brother's which. I think you're right. Okay. Um, and so it starts off as this thing where it's like, okay, they have, they're like rich people with no real problems, but that's fine. And then it takes like a hard turn into like in the last 10 minutes being very, very, very sad. It got really dour uh, and depressing. And I was like, I, I hate movies that kind of do that, that like pull the happiness rug out from under you, especially if you're going to do that. It has to be in like the first five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely kind of an, an all over the place unsatisfying movie which is like kind of a bummer because i could see that cast being interesting together Mm -hmm. i guess um but yeah i didn't enjoy the film yeah (laughs) it's like it 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 always like feels nice to see a movie that's like for adults and it's just like about like holly hunter and tony shalhoub's relationship but then movies like that so often just like aren't well done or don't go anywhere (laughs) so it's kind of frustrating um all right next up is Mickey and the Roadster Racers Race for Rigatoni Ribbon, which is uh, the kind of Disney show that's, like, literally for two-year-olds, like, not even, like, older children. Um, so it was, like, really boring and felt like it was made by, like, a YouTube algorithm. <laughs> and what's weird about this is that Tony Shalhoub voices a character named Luigi, so I thought it would be, like, a Cars thing. It's not. But, you know, he's a different Luigi. I was, I'll snitch on myself. I didn't watch this one because I was like, oh, it's, it's like, all the, you know, there. It, I, I saw the YouTube algorithm kind of idea behind it where I was like, okay, it's all these Disney 
characters or whatever, Pixar characters, uh, doing racing, and they got him just to do like some a couple lines as Luigi from Cars. But I can't believe that he's a different Luigi. Yeah, it's very weird. I guess maybe Pixar and Disney are just... Um, all right, next is Final Portrait, which I thought was an unbelievably boring fucking movie. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, a biopic about the painter... Alberto Ghiacometti. I just said biopic, but I think he might actually be fictional. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I remember this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just remember being ex- real, truly bored out of my mind. Yeah, there's like a couple people in it where you're like, oh, like Army Hammer's in it. Like you think it might be, I don't know, at yeah. all sexy or exciting, it's, but it's pretty slow. It's another one that's written and directed by Stanley Tucci, which is weird because the others are sort of like fun and lighthearted. And I guess this is just him trying to be like very, very serious. I didn't realize that Stanley directed this. That's mm-hmm. funny. And it's also funny because uh, this has Tony Shalhoub and Army Hammer, who also star in our next movie, Cars 3. Yes! Uh, I hate this movie so, uh, so much. It's like. This whole millennial boomers thing yeah. that is not given the best takes. It's like this this girl's going to take over. But he has a lot of issues with that at first. Um, and her arc is so fucking weird where uh, she, re- she hints the whole movie about a tragic backstory. And then when she finally talks about it, she's like, I always wanted to be a racer. And then... The first time I got to a race, I realized I wouldn't be good enough. And, like, seeing that, like, my jaw sort of dropped. And I was like, that happens to literally everyone. Everyone wants to be a pro athlete and then realizes they're not good enough. That's just a normal part of life. Yeah, that's such a delusional. (laughs) Like, this movie was gives kids such weird fucking ideas, I think, about things. And even probably, like, aging. Uh, Also, Shalom's barely in it. We only get a couple moments of Luigi. Um, also, I don't even remember what in the movie prompted me to write this, but one of my notes specifically for Cars 3 was, how do these cars fuck? <laughs> Which makes me think that something in the movie led me to ask that question, and I doubt we've gotten an answer. Um, also, uh, uh, Lightning McQueen meets this guy who was like, who used to be best friends with Doc, the Paul Newman car. Oh, yeah. And um, the guy tells him that at uh doc didn't talk to him for years and then one day he started writing to him about lightning mcqueen and like kept writing about like his friendship with lightning mcqueen and i was like that is so insane (laughs) that's such a weird thing to drop that lightning mcqueen was so important to doc that he was like i'm going to contact my friend i haven't spoken to in a decade just to talk about this young guy it was like this weird excuse to bring doc back in this like creepy way where i was like i don't know what this is lending to the movie (laughs) and it's kind of weird to like use technology to make paul newman's last credit cars three (laughs) true true i didn't think about that and that's so true um, yeah, this one was definitely a big pass for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of the Cars films, you know, just watch two. Yeah. Or none. <laughs> um, all right, next is Rosie, which is a nut. It's Nat Wolf, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Nat Wolf kidnaps this woman, and it's like a romance. And I thought this one was like a little better than a lot of kidnapping movies I've seen, just because it seems like it's 
from a female perspective and it's really like four women who kind of want to get kidnapped yeah uh, which I respect but it definitely wasn't like actually good it had some moments that had potential like there's a part where Nat Wolf is like my grandma might have to come live with us which I thought was like really fucking funny um but yeah for the most part I feel like it just like uh didn't really follow through on a lot of the stuff it set up and yeah, not to be, like, a dick writer, but I felt like this needed, like, a second pass where it had, like, some interesting stuff baked in and then it just, like, didn't get executed very well. And, like, I'm someone who doesn't like those, that, like, the general kidnap romance mm-hmm. movie premise, so it's, like, going to be hard to sell me on that. But this one, like, I think could have or almost did yeah. um, if, like... I don't know. Things with Nat Wolf had just worked a little better, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I highly recommend the Lifetime show You, which <gasps> I think yes. uh, it really does what this movie is trying to do of having the guy be like scary, but funny, but also like really sexy. Yeah. He's like, there's an incompetence that makes it kind of charming, but like it's still just too a little flat versus You is not. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And now finally, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Ah! Um, I like this show a lot. I feel like that's a fucking basic thing to say. Um, I, I, um, Amy Sherman Palladino is probably like my problematic fave or whatever, uh, because she has so many flaws in what she creates, but I so genuinely enjoy it. I'm a basic bitch that got like super into Gilmore Girls. Uh, even though that's like not the relationship my mom and I had, I just would like pretend we did. Um, and I do really enjoy the casting. Like, I think that, like, Tony Shalhoub plays a very fun, interesting oh, character. Yeah. Her parents are, I think, the best part. It's so good. I'd like more. Of I wanted more of them, and then we got more of them in season two, which made me happy. Um, especially more Shalhoub. I mean, both of them are great. I love Rose in Paris. Um, I mean, there's certainly aspects of it that are, like, not very realistic to stand-up comedy, I think. <laughs> right. And even to the times. Um... And like I said, Amy Sherman Palladino is uh, not perfect, but like she's, I don't know why I'm only talking about her, but like mm-hmm. she's just got this weird fucking energy and like attitude and life that I'm kind of like, I'd like to be you. <laughs> I'd like to just make shit almost on my own with so much money and wear a top hat everywhere <laughs> And I can give my husband jobs when I feel like it. And I get to work with the actors I like. And I just show up at award shows and say weird shit (laughs) and continue to make my shit. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think this is a pretty charming show. Definitely has a lot of problems, I think. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's very similar to Gilmore Girls in that, like... It's so white. (laughs) Yeah, that. And also, like... I feel like the thing about Gilmore Girls is it's, like, so, like, blatantly a fantasy of, like, you'll never be as, like, beautiful and perfect as those women, but then the show will try to be, like, they eat so much and they ramble too Uh, much. Yeah, I mean, easily the worst part of Gilmore Girls is the fact that they have them eat like that and have these two women playing them and, like, never address it. Um, And what sucks is that, like, there's, like occasional there's like some fat phobic jokes in Amy Sherman Palladino content which always bums me out because like one of my favorite things about Gilmore Girls is that you have Melissa McCarthy in it for seven seasons as like a main character and there is not a single comment about her weight or like joke or anything about it in seven seasons and I was like that's great like it doesn't 
Like, we don't have to treat her, like, differently because of this. And then, like, Maisel, like, sees that, like, the second joke in is, like, and I had this fat roommate who loved butter. Like, (laughs) and, like, I, you know, she's obviously this insanely thin woman. I feel like the show, I feel like Amy Sherman, like, her shows have a problem with, like, you know, these perfect brunette women that are, like, just galvanizing everyone around them and are, like, super women. Um, and I feel like this, I feel like Midge is a little bit better than Lorelai Gilmore and that like she, there are more moments where other people kind of ground her and are like, you're acting fucking insane. (laughs) And that some of her insanity comes from comedy. Like one of my favorite things is in season two when she gives like a speech at her friend's wedding and basically just starts doing like really inappropriate, bad stand up, And everyone's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like you are acting like a terrible person who's like not aware of the people around you and like thinks she can say and do anything and it's okay. And I was like, that's accurate. Like I, I feel like she gets brought back to reality a little bit more, mm-hmm. but is still absolutely not living in reality. <laughs> But get that Zachary Levi dick, so. Nice. Um, all right, that, that brings us to the end. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope Shaloub has some more projects soon. I will do bonus episodes for absolutely fucking anything he makes. <laughs> nice. Um, all right, do you want to close it out with a fuck, Mary kill? Oh, yes. Uh, can you go first? I have to think about this. Okay. I forgot mine. I'm going to fuck uh, Nurse Jackie. I'll marry Mr. Maisel, and I'll kill uh, the guy from the assignment. Okay, I'm going to fuck Galaxy Quest. Aww. I think I'm also going to marry Maisel, and I'm going to kill Pain and Gain. Nice. <laughs> all right, thank you, for everyone, for listening. Uh, be sure to check, uh, check out all the other shows on the Major Cast Network. Lenny, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Of course. I get to talk about one of my favorite subjects with one of my favorite people. Yes. Um, Yeah, everybody uh, go rewatch Monk. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.